1: Everyone and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stoney and I'm Sadie. And welcome back. It is Memorial Day weekend when this comes mm-hmm. out, so I hope everyone is enjoying. Hopefully a Monday free work day. I'm working Memorial yeah. Day, I know, but hey. Oh, I have it off. Ugh. I'm very excited. I made the mistake of requesting, not requesting, of volunteering to work that day. So, oh, oh well. But it's time and a half, so whatever. Hey, that's pretty good then. Exactly, but hey, we have a welcome new to more than an artist, artist podcast, today. and it is a, a podcast all about women director. and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. So. Well, Join us as we explore a a
0: what it's like being a female artist, are, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and on you not on important and forgotten female artists of the past. I know. The beginning of something new
1: exactly i was trying to think of yeah what possible like art medium we haven't touched yet and yep the behind mm-hmm. the scenes movie world I haven't done a lot of and truthfully there's not a lot of even women to pull from which is even mm-hmm. more discouraging but hey anything Definitely. going on that we need to i don't know mention before we start I don't think so. I mean, our episodes have been kind of out of order this month, if anyone's noticed. True.
0: (laughs) We had like the Met Gala episode that we pushed to the beginning of the month and then kind of did our artists at different time periods. But hopefully you're all like following along and enjoying it, Mm -hmm. even though
1: it's been a little wonky. And last week we did did our Beyonce part two. So if you're a Beyonce fan Mm -hmm. or even if you're like, I mean, I don't know who's not at least a little bit of a Beyonce fan,
0: but. You know, it's like, how can you make it through society without at least being a little bit of a Beyonce fan? I mean, honestly. <laughs> but hey, we've
1: got a lot of information on her. Go back and do our part two series that we did on her because, yeah, she's amazing. Definitely. Yeah,
0: it was cool to dive more into her background and everything instead of just relying on the little bit of information I do know. Yep, so.
1: exactly. Well, today we are talking about Lena Mueller. Müller. It's a German last name. Well, it looks German, but she's Italian. Oh, cool. Her real name. Okay, I'm gonna... I, I listened to How to Say It Once, and I'm just now realizing that I have no idea. All right, her full name is archangela felice assunta Wertmiller von Elg spaniel von braui perhaps that is a very long name yeah she has the name of a princess and i've always wanted a long name like that to, <laughs> you know that's true someone were to announce i, to me, actually, I would sound like royalty
0: <laughs> yeah i was about to comment i was like i feel like the only people that have names that long are royalty uh-huh.
1: very fitting that's what like my my parents didn't give me a middle name because they're like, oh, your maiden name will eventually become your middle name. And I've, I've always been so upset about that because I was like, hello, I would keep my middle name and my maiden name so I could have four names and it would sound very regal whenever I was announced. But yeah, anyways, now I just haven't and changed name And then it's funny because you haven't even nope. changed your name. Yeah. <laughs> so now I still only have two names, but it's fine. Plan foiled. <laughs> Take that, mom and dad. I'm not taking my married name. i mean to be fair
0: you could go change your name and not even take your married name you could just give yourself a middle name
1: that's honestly i've been thinking about that but i feel like there's a lot of extra pressure now with that giving myself a middle name
0: whereas the one that you're just assigned at birth
1: (laughs) yeah less pressure it's like that friends episode when you know phoebe realizes you can just change your name to whatever you want and yeah anyways chaos there are consequences though. exactly <laughs> it's funny. anyways so she just went by lena vert miller for the rest of her life she was born august 14th 1928 just for a brief summary and then i do want to give a little bit of a state of the arts as far as just like women directors in general but she was an italian film director and screenwriter she is best known for her 1970s arthouse films seven beauties which is kind of like a genre bending world war ii film And for that movie, she became the first female director to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director in 1977. That's awesome. So that's kind of how I found her. And that's her significance. She's the very first woman to ever be nominated for this award. Other movies she's done is The Seduction of Mimi, Love and Anarchy, and Swept Away. Truthfully, I haven't heard of any of these movies. But I I mean, hey, one of them was Oscar nominated. And then in 2019, she was announced as one of four recipients of the Academy Honorary Award for her career. And she was the second female director to be so honored. So she did a big, you know, she did a lot of cool things with her movies. And we'll talk a little bit about her live. But I want to talk a little bit about women in cinema. I mean, we talked about you know, the tropes and horror films. And we talked a lot about like TV tropes, especially with, you know, when we talked about like popular TV shows, but there are not a lot of women behind the scenes in movies. So a study done by the USC Annenberg researched what it meant to be a female in the film industry, no matter if they were working behind the scenes or they were just, of course, fictional characters. They looked at like two different test groups, the top 100 films every year from 2007 to 2015, and then just the one like the top 100 films in 2015. So for the top 100 films in 2015, women were leads and co-leads in only 32 of them. And then of the 32 films, only three of them included a race other than just being white. And then out of thousands of speaking roles, only 32 characters were in the LGBT community. And of those characters, 40% of them were racially diverse. So female characters were also three times more likely to be seen in a sexual context. So just, you know, as you go down, there's just less and less representation in these movies. Of course, this is like, you know, seven Mm -hmm. years old at this point, but... I, I doubt it's that different. Sadly enough. yes. <laughs> Behind oh, the scenes, though, there's pretty similar statistics to the female fictional characters. Female directors, writers, and producers made up 19% of the 1,365 people that it took to create the top 100 films in 2015. The percentage of female writers is 11% and producers, 22%. But that's compared to the directors, which is just 7.5%. Yeah. So only 7.5% 7, 7. of all the top 100 films were done by women. But then from the top 100 films of every year from 2007 until 2015, of those 800 films, 4.1% were directed by females.
0: So, I mean,
1: that's pretty dismal. That's insane.
0: <laughs> like yeah, I 4%. mean, it's no wonder that like, the representation on screen is so bad when the representation off screen mm-hmm. is... Worse, You know? Like, they're not even having women in those seats to be able to influence what ends up getting picked.
1: Exactly. And like, of course, not a lot of these women are being nominated because I think... I mean, it's it's hard. Like when you don't see these women being recognized, you know, a lot in the best director category, it's like, oh, maybe there's comes the bias of maybe they're just not making good enough movies. But it's like, well, if only 4%, like there's just not a lot of options yeah. to go from, you know, of no. who is making good enough movies to be in the, you know, to make it to the best director categories or things like that.
0: I know it's only 4%. That's a...
1: I know. That's a steep hill to try and climb. Exactly. I did find this BBC article that I thought was interesting. I think it was just put out a couple years ago that was just called Why Aren't There More Women Film Directors? And this quote from it, the Hollywood's top women are taking control is especially important when you look at the statistics. In the US, women comprise just 8% of directors working on the top 2050 US domestic grossing films in 2018. So... This is 2018, which is three years after that study, you know, was done. But that's still just 8%. In the 90 years that the Academy Awards have been running, only five women have ever been nominated for the Best Director Oscar and only one has ever won in 2010, which is Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. I don't know if that's changed since this article has come out, but this article is only like a couple years old. So only five women have ever been nominated.
0: And only one has
1: won. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And, you know, it talks a lot about, like, what could be, why. And, you know, a lot of it is, like, there's not representation. Something that I also thought was interesting is, well, let me just read this paragraph. So, one challenge has been to entice studios to take a chance on first-time directors. According to dr martha M. lousen professor and executive director of the center for the study of women in television and film that's a long title um, at san diego state (laughs) university and author of the celluloid ceiling stereotypes about women's skills and ambition are a powerful barrier to entry and then quote as long as women are perceived to be a risk they will be hired at a lower rate than their male counterparts and then there's another person named dame rabbits who said what we're trying to do is to say hiring first-time directors is always a leap of faith but you should have as much faith in those women candidates as you do with their male counterparts so like yeah. the reality is is because there's just not a lot of women directors studios have to take a chance with their female directors are like when hiring them because a lot of times it'll be like their first time you know what i mean because they don't have as much to pull from and it's so much easier just to like go to someone who's maybe already proven themselves but also the ones who have proven themselves have already had so much opportunity to do so. So, and I just thought that was interesting. Like as long as women are perceived to be quote at risk, like it's gonna be just harder for people to just like mentally stop that barrier and it talked a lot about that in that article which honestly I feel like we could do a whole potential future episode on everything that I was reading on that article but yeah it was just really interesting definitely like I knew it because we've talked
0: I think we've talked very loosely about like music production as well and just a lot more of those like technical fields Mm -hmm. that for some reason are more barred to women than a lot of the more artistic ones have been for a long time yeah so I figured that like there were very few female directors but
1: that's <laughs> definitely it was more dismal than I even yeah imagined. <laughs> well I mean I have so much like you mentioned with music I feel like the behind the scenes world of music really is just so much a boys club because a lot of the times it's just like guys hanging out and making music and to insert yourself into those dynamics sometimes it feels like you have to be so purposeful maybe or like you have to I don't know infiltrate in some way because a lot of times like I said they're just almost like just hanging out with their friends and making music and then they create these groups and build each other up because that's just who they're naturally drawn to hanging out to and then it's just hard to break into that and so I imagine it's very similar things that are going on in the movie world you know? Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, so very dismal, but I think it makes it like that much incredible what she did and what she's done is like, there's only been five women. Like I said, I don't know if that's been updated since that article was posted, but I do know that like, if I'm remembering right, like Natalie Portman and other more bigger artists are bigger actresses. They've been talking a lot about the fact that there's not a lot of women directors that are recognized at all and so in their own production companies they've kind of been advocating for hiring women directors and like making a conscious choice of like putting them in those roles something that the article also brought up is like with the rise of streaming services it's almost like creating more roles that potentially women could step into because it's maybe less like there's less at stake with those type of maybe lower budget netflix type roles and so it's maybe easier for a woman to Take advantage of those rather than having it be like a multi million dollar, you know, big Hollywood project that they have to hope that someone will give them that chance. You know what I mean?
0: No, that definitely makes sense. I feel like isn't Shondaland who did Bridgerton? Oh,
1: yeah. Uh huh. I think so. That's female
0: run, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Shondaland did
0: do Bridgerton. hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. So, yeah, and that's a Netflix original. Yep. hmm. That- was taken on and then you know by Shonda Rhimes which I mean not a huge risk considering apparently she's the creator of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) She's I think she's
1: proven herself at this point
0: but still like it kind of shows that a lot more of like Netflix exclusives I think are giving the opportunity Mm -hmm. to to more women. It's kind of of like what
1: we've always seen or like talked about so much is that like the old art they Mm -hmm. are like the old I don't know, more prestigious places, it's hard for women to crack into it, but like if as soon as there's a new medium, women are like able to push themselves into it. So I wonder if that's kind of like the phenomenon we're seeing with like more women being involved yeah, in like streaming projects, streaming. you know, where it's like, maybe it was kind of originally looked down as like a lower form of like art, but now it, it's, I think streaming is proving itself as like actually being able to make content that is like, oh, potentially award worthy, you know? And so mm-hmm. I don't know maybe that's like a similar thing that's happening as like you know we've found no, over makes and over sense. again
0: definitely cuz i mean even with the creation of youtube mm-hmm. that like tons of like the whole female influencer world like influencers were all female yeah. a couple of years ago so, yeah, I definitely think that that's the case. And that's a cool opportunity then. that Hopefully, we can get some more diversity yeah. that will stick around. And I mean, like, and hopefully that's again. like, yeah,
1: a legitimate thing that continue and not just like a weird fluke yeah. that's happening. Definitely. <laughs> anyway, so some dismal facts for you. But let's talk about Lena. So mm-hmm. she was born in Rome in 1928 to Frederico, a lawyer from Palazzo San Gervasio, Man, there's going to be a lot of Italian words, so forgive me. And then her mother's name was Maria Santa Maria Maruzio, who was also born in Rome. She kind of depicted her childhood as a period of adventure. Uh, Apparently, she was expelled from 15 different Catholic high schools. Her family was very devoutly, like, very Catholic. But yeah, 15. There wasn't much more information as, like, what happened, but... 15 different schools so Goodness. definitely a life adve- adventure yeah. she also mentioned that during her childhood she was infatuated with comic books and described them as like especially influential on her youth there was a particular artist alex raymond's flash gordon she's kind of correct- characterized his comics as quote rather cinematic and more cinematic than most films so I think that's kind of like where she first got her, you know, artistic inspiration from was from reading these comic yeah. books. But her desire to work in the film and theater industries took hold at a very young age. Early on in her life, she developed an appreciation for the works of Russian playwrights, Pietro Sherov, Vladimir Niumi, um, Nemirovich Donchenko, and Konstantin. Stanislav, Oh my gosh. Stanislavsky. Yes. And that's kind of like what got her originally interested into the world of performing arts was like reading these playwrights and being apparently was really big fans of them. She Ooh. went to a drama high school and that's where she graduated from in 1951. Apparently while she was in school, she produced avant-garde plays. And then right afterwards, she like traveled throughout Europe Working actually as a puppeteer and a stage manager, set designer, and publicist, she joined Maria Signorelli's troupe in 1951. And now I wanted to do, like, potentially, like, found that name Maria Signorelli, and I was like, maybe we could do a whole episode on her. There wasn't that much information on her, but she was an Italian Mm. puppet master who was known for her creations as well as for her sets and costume designs and, like, her valuable collection of puppets. so that's what she did immediately after high school she went on tour with this puppet troupe and yeah created the sets and stage managed all of their shows which is so (laughs) random but cool But these interests kind of developed towards being like more interested in musical comedy and the other being Mm. like contemporary Italian dramas. There was a Italian playwright and director, Giorgio De Lulo, whose work she described as serious and politically conscious. And that was kind of like the two things that she drew from for her future project, the musical like comedy, but then at the same time, these dramas. And she kind of combined those two, especially at a very political consciousness of maybe his films she definitely drew from that for her own future career of making movies for her film career so she spent years touring with that puppet group but afterwards she kind of set her sights on film and in the early 1960s flora carabella who was a school friend introduced her to her husband who was the actor marcello i think it's marcello mastroianni and then he introduced her to the film director Federico fellini and He's kind of like who would become her mentor. He actually hired her as an assistant director on his film Eight and a Half. That was like the major life-changing experience that just opened up the world of film to her. So because she got introduced to these people. Something that I thought was cool. All of the movies she wrote the screenplays for, but they most relied on the talents of her two favorite actors. One's name was Giancarlo Giannini, which... She usually kind of cast as like the hapless male chauvinist that was like victimized by the injustices of the Italian society. And apparently also he was usually like baffled by women. But then there was also <laughs> another actress, Mary Angeli Mulatto, and she was usually like the complicated love interest in the story. So mm. that like Giancarlo, she had in so many of her movies. So in 1963, she finally directed her own film called The Lizard which is like a study of provincial life in the vein of Fellini's I Vetteloni I don't know it was followed by another film she did that is apparently quirky called let's talk about men which was a study of sexual politics that foreshadowed her later explorations of the subject interesting so like yeah I'll explain the plot of her academy award nominated film and she has like a lot of just interesting plots that are like politically conscious that kind of examine like the sexual dynamic between men and women and like how you know like the power dynamics i think between the two if i'm understanding right i haven't actually watched any of her films now i feel like i kind of have to but also some of the plots mm-hmm. i'm just like interesting so Anyways, but throughout the 60s, she produced a series of these films. They were well-liked, but they failed to garner much international success. One of these films, which was actually her very first collaboration with Giannini, the Giancarlo, it was a 1966 musical comedy, Rita the Mosquito. And there's a quote from someone who described this like early part and he said her early films comprise a fairly straight pastiche of neorealism and early Fellini an episodic comedy two musicals and a spaghetti western the hard thing is it's like all these reference points I'm not as familiar with so it's kind of hard for me to like read these reference points and be like oh of course I've heard the phrase spaghetti western so many times I'm looking it up
0: right now because I'm like, what is... Apparently, it's like a low-budget Italian-made Western. Oh,
1: okay. I remember... Oh, it's...
0: Or maybe it's just a low-budget film. Okay, it's based off of the low-budget films that were made in Italy in the 1960s and early 1970s, and then that's why they call them a spaghetti Western. Because they're filming in
1: Italy. Yeah.
0: Or because they're made the same way that those cheaper films in Italy were.
1: Oh. See... That makes sense now i know the reference there's a movie that tarantino did once upon a time in hollywood and like the western actor goes to italy for a while to film like the oh. western musical or the westerns oh, okay. in italy and they i was like so surprised yeah. by it but in the movie it like talked about that that was like the thing to go do it was like the lower budget version of yes. the u.s western movies or films which is
0: so funny apparently there was like a huge market for westerns in europe yeah Maybe like the fascination with American culture. I mean, yeah, I saw a TikTok video of a girl singing a very beautiful Western song the other day about how she wished she was a cowboy, but she lives in England. So I mean
1: I mean it's still probably there a little if bit. If anyone over there is listening, I from my very <laughs> few times of visiting Wyoming or Montana, eh, personally I'll I'll pass. But who knows. I
0: will say though, the desert That's like, true is beautiful like southern utah it is beautiful gorgeous doesn't really make me want to put on cowboy boots and a hat but the cowboy (laughs) lifestyle i
1: don't think is ever in my future but (laughs) you know (laughs) i get the romanticizing of it though actually now that i'm thinking about it i i I do get it yeah there's something romantic about about it definitely i don't know Mm -hmm. we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists so
0: the one that I found is her handle on Instagram is mm-hmm. firecracker city and her name is Park Inju, I believe. She's Korean. It's all in Korean, but I clicked see translation. So <laughs> it's Park Inju. And I think they're all pastels, but it's just the most beautiful dreamlike Ooh, yes. illustrations. They're stunning, stunningly beautiful. Yeah. They really are. Like, I don't have anything else to say. It's stunning. Yeah, just completely gorgeous. It looks like she's done some book covers, um, which is, gosh, I would just love to own Mm -hmm. those and just have them sitting around, you know. (laughs) It's so pretty, as well as a bunch of other stuff as well. And let's look if she's got a website. Dang. It's all in Korean. Yeah she has a YouTube channel it looks like and if you read Korean then you'll really understand what's going on. If not you're gonna have to rely on this (laughs) translation functions. Yes but I love finding like foreign artists you know like it's always so fun to kind of see what's going on around Mm -hmm. the world in the art world so fun to follow even if you don't understand everything and thank heavens for Instagram see translation function so we can at least yes. understand <laughs> the captions. Anyway, I'm sure she has a website somewhere. It's just all in Korean, but you can check her out on Instagram and on YouTube. It's Firecracker City.
1: So, today I have an artist. I found her on Instagram, but she has a TikTok, and the TikTok is very cool because this is like the kind of artist that you like want to watch her process videos. But it's Sabrina Epton Art. She has original art and she has prints, but what I think is so cool is she also has temporary tattoos of her art. And if you like look at her art and then go to her tattoos, they are so cool. Whoa. These are like uh uh-huh.
0: methodical. Holy cow. That's can what you just I buy a think. cube.
1: Or I mean at least you can buy the prints of the cubes. But yeah, like i said i would absolutely recommend checking her out on tiktok because i think the coolest part and granted it looks like she does post a lot of them on reels but like i think the coolest part about what she does Mm -hmm. is like the process of it all it's so beautiful it's so cool yeah Mm -hmm. also you can buy she has like a sphere which is also really cool it's like hard to explain that of like why is it cool cool that it's a cube and a sphere but like just Go, go watch. It's yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. You'll get it. Go look I at promise. it, then you'll get it. And again, she's either on that's Instagram amazing. or on TikTok, and that's just Sabrina Epton Art. All right, now back to the show. But anyways, so she got a start in the early 60s doing movies, but then the 1970s pretty much had the release of all of her most influential and highly regarded films, and many of which featured collaboration with that same actor Giancarlo there was someone who's according to Joffrey Noel Smith's um, book Companion to Italian Cinema 1972 marked the beginning of her golden age so beginning in 1972 her, her first movie that she made was The Seduction of Mimi and then continuing until eight, 1978 with her movie Blood Feud, she released seven films, many of which are considered masterpieces of Italian comedy. And it was during this time that she saw critical and international success, gaining traction as a filmmaker outside of Italy um, and in the United States on a scale that like many of her contemporaries were just not able to attain for themselves at all. In 1975, swept away one top foreign film awarded by the National Board of Review in the United States. And the following year is when. her 1976 film Seven Beauties, for which she became the first female director to be nominated for an Oscar. So the plot for Seven Beauties is very, very interesting. So it was written by her and it's kind of, well, it's about an Italian man, just like a typical man who deserts the army during World War II and then is captured by the Germans and is sent to a prison camp where he basically just does anything he can to survive through like the flashbacks you kind of learn about his family of seven unattractive sisters and apparently his like accidental murder of one of his sister's lover and then at one point he's imprisoned in an insane asylum and then he like volunteers to be a soldier to escape confinement it's very interesting what Um, (laughs) yeah it did receive Three other Academy Awards, one for Best Foreign Language Film, and then it also received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Foreign Film. Basically, like, I think the, well, what the message of the movie is, is, like, survival. But I guess Mm -hmm. like at the time of its release, it was controversial for its graphic depiction of Nazi concentration camps. There was like a certain person who admired the film's artistry, but like criticized its impression of the experience of concentration camp survivors. But then like that person's own take on it was wrong as well, like has also been critiqued. I don't know exactly how she did you know depict it just everything I was reading just said that it kind of garnered some type of like criticism for it but I'm like but if it was like a graphic depiction where they just like upset that they were she was like showing it so like yeah graphically on screen graphic
0: I'm like it is graphic I like yeah saw pictures of them when I was in elementary that's kind of what I'm thinking
1: I'm like it does seem graphic so I don't really know yeah I'd be
0: interested in it the yeah I feel like it would garner more criticism to like... Not
1: be graphic. M-
0: yeah, to like make fun of it or like make it less bad. Yeah,
1: that's exactly what I was... <laughs> like that was my impression as I was reading yeah. it. But yeah, honestly, the movie sounds kind of strange because I think it's also kind of yeah. meant to be like a comedy, Italian comedy. So I don't know if it's just like a dark comedy, you know, or what mm-hmm. its intentions are. I know at the end... I read that he kind of gets in with like the main like prison warden, who I think is a woman and does sexual favors for her. I think to like get her approval, if I'm understanding it right. But then like to like prove himself, he has to choose six people who die to save the entire camp anyways. And so he has to like do that. It's an interesting interesting plot, but she was obviously trying to be like provocative. Clearly, I mean. Mm. And so, yeah, that's what it's about. But afterwards, she did not win that year. But like I said, it is cool that she was like the first woman nominated. But after this, she signed a contract with Warner Brothers to make four films. Of them was her very first English language film called A Night Full of Rain. And it was entered into the 28th Berlin International Film Festival in 1978. But the film was just not a success. And so Warner canceled their contract with her.
0: Ugh, lame. I know.
1: Not every film's going to be a hit. I'm like, was it that bad that they were like, there's yeah. no potential here? Mm. Goodness. I don't know. Apparently, her brand, though, of sexual politics encountered hostility from critics like Pauline Kale, Molly Haskell, and Ellen Willis, which, if I'm reading correctly, are all women. So, hmm. But they called her, though, a woman hater who pretends to be a feminist. So, I think that maybe her portrayal of women and, like, the relationship between them and, women and men was criticized. It's hard, too, because it's like, I haven't seen the movies. They're all in Italian, so I don't really know. You know, yeah. I don't know if the criticism is warranted, but that was the take on her, her art and her movies. So, something that I thought, a funny little quote that I found was tiny and voluble with a fierce smile and instantly recognizable white-framed glasses. Ms. Vertmiller disarmed criticism by unleashing verbal torrents of explanation in a gravelly alto. Vincent Canby, after listening to her hold forth during a publicity tour for her first English-language film, The End of the World... Okay, side note, she has the longest movie titles. I'll mention that later. But the full (laughs) title is The End of the World in Our Usual Bed on a Night Full of Rain which ended up just being known as the night full of rain. But apparently quote, she spoke with enthusiasm at such length and so articulately that to vary an old Hollywood joke, it seems Warner brothers might do better to scrap the film and distribute the director, which I thought is oh. a funny way of saying that, that <laughs> yeah. she's so entertaining that they're like, just have her, just have her talk because it's better than the movie, which is mean to the movie, Thoughts but like, funny. you know, maybe just shows nice to her. Yeah, her dynamic yeah. personality. Yeah.
0: Also, I mean, with that long of names, I mean, her name was also long. True. She was just... Like,
1: let me show you what I can do here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, learned behavior there. When your parents give you a name like that, you're going to name all of your movies the same way.
1: (laughs) Very True. Okay, so in the 80s, though, she keeps making movies even if they're not necessarily, like, reaching the same peak of fame or international success that her previous movies are. Her 1983 film, A Joke of Destiny, was entered into the 14th Moscow International Film Festival, 1985, and then, and Kimora, A Story of Streets, Women in Crime, they were all entered into the 36th Berlin International Film Festival. In 1985, she received the Women in Film Crystal Award for Outstanding Women who, through endurance and the excellence of their work, have helped to expand the role of women within the entertainment industry. So like even though her movies weren't necessarily, you know, like I said, continuing to be Academy Award winning or nominated, she was still just continuing to make this art. It seems very, very obvious that this is like what she loved doing and what she was passionate about and like you know she was still being recognized as a powerhouse and as you know one of the first like prime you know well she was the first woman to be to be recognized at the academy award level but during this period of acclaim she did you know, fade out of the international prominence. But she continued to release films well into the 90s. Some of these films were sponsored by American financiers and studios, but they still failed to have the breadth of reach that her 1970s output did achieve. These films are less widely seen. This quote says that while they are less widely seen and were neglected or disparaged by most, they are retroactively thought of as worthwhile. So they weren't okay. recognized, but like, Price probably still just as good some other fun things that she did do like during the 90s she did a lot of tv work she directed a number of operas as well like Carmen in 1986 and La Boheme in 1997 and this is just a random thing she actually dubbed the voice of Grandmother Fa for the Italian release of the 1998 Disney film Mulan I love that. Yes. I love
0: finding out who does the foreign translations for the Disney films mm-hmm. because it's always so random and lovely. Yep. <laughs> and so she was Grandmother Fa
1: in the Italian version of Mulan that's awesome so but i you know i do think it's cool that even though her movies wasn't particularly you know reaching the same level of success she was doing just so many different kinds of things tv operas like just always directing and always pursuing this in one way or another so she was obviously very active in the italian art scene and then, as I, I mentioned, that. she is known for her movie titles. For instance, the full title of her movie, Swept Away, is Swept Away by an Unusual Destiny in the Blue Sea of August. And, of course, these titles were shortened for international release. She is actually entered into the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest film title. And it's in, it's in Italian. So uh, bear with me here. But um I will do my best to say it all and if any Italian is listening I'm so sorry. But un di sangu nel comune de Fra fraudu. Oh, I'm so embarrassing. Umini per casa di una vedova si sospetano moventi politici, amor morte shimmi luganabel tarantel Taralucci e vino.
0: Well done. So you
1: have no clue what I said. I know I butchered that. But just to give you the sense of how long that title is. And it totals 179 (laughs) characters. But the film is better known for its international release title of Blood Feud. So a little bit shorter than... (laughs) It really makes me wonder, does
0: the director actually choose the title of the film? I don't know why I always just assumed that like... I think because
1: she also is a screenwriter. Probably.
0: I don't know why I assume there was like a huge team behind that, probably because in order to name like the color of a bottle at work, yeah, it takes like 10 well, I'm of sure us. it's
1: different if it's like a big Hollywood movie done by like a major studio versus like an Italian indie film privately yeah. funded movie. You know, like, I'm sure that's probably the difference. I'm sure if someone's hiring her or like giving her the funding to make a movie, it's because they want her to make the movie, you know? Yeah. so. That's probably how she continued to get away with it. I don't know, but it's so funny, I think. (laughs) That's the best. Mm -hmm. So a couple notes on her personal life. So she was married to Enrico Job, who actually died in 2008. And he was an art designer who worked on several actually of her movies. He died in 2008, but she actually adopted Maria Zulima job who was her husband's child with another woman but he yeah she adopted him shortly after her birth in 1991 and her daughter survives her. So um, in 2015 she was the subject of a biographical film directed by Valeria Ruiz titled Behind the White Glasses in which she reflects on her life's work. I didn't get the chance to watch it but you can rent it on Amazon for like four dollars and then she continued to like I said work as a director in the theater until her death at her home on December 9th of 2021 so she just barely died and she lived until to be 93 years old that's amazing I know so yeah there is the life of Lena let me talk a little bit more about her style and her legacy so like I mentioned there was a certain director and like her mentor Fellini and apparently his style is evident in much of her work these two kind of share a common view with the way their films view the Italian working class showing the realities of life for the politically neglected and the economically downtrodden with a tendency towards like the preposterous so I think it's like you know like I mentioned like her films are politically conscious but they're also comedies and I think they're comedies in the sense that like almost like in the way nine to five was just like so ridiculous Mm -hmm. you know of like how is this actually happening yeah but but it's still kind of like with the undertones of like you know real issues at the same time though her work kind of exhibits a true adoration of Italy and it's like locals and just like what makes that culture it also just like the location of Italy it talks about her elements of films locations with cinematography that presents the camera subjects with a colorful extravagance that idolizes the distinctly Italian settings of her films I thought that was a nice way of putting that Another thing that I thought was cool is that you can definitely tell that she has a big background in theater and she would like use the camera in a way that like emphasizes performance and like the grandiose comedy of her characters kind of like near constant state of emotional frenzy. Um, Much much of her work apparently uses former... formal film tactics to dramatize the misapplication and destructive qualities that political ideology can have on individuals kind of satirizing common conceptions of revolution and the political status quo in the process so like I said I think from what I'm understanding and gathering is it's like it's comedy but maybe comedy in the way that things are satirical and overemphasized and like you know maybe showing the root of you know like the common misconceptions of like different political ideologies and like what maybe things like that can turn into so it's very political yeah. conscious but also comedies technically and then a quote says vert miller's work combined a concern with topical political issues and the conventions of traditional italian grotesque comedy so i kind of want to watch one of these movies now i should have done that before I know. but you kind of have to find them So as far as, like, her legacy, Lena, who combines sexual warfare and leftist politics in the provocative, genre-defying films... The seduction of Mimi swept away in 7 beauties are what established her as one of the most original directors of the 1970s, which I thought was cool. The Culture Minister Dario Francescini said in a statement that her class and unmistakable style has left its mark on Italian and world cinema, and then he said grazie Lena, which I thought was sweet. But you know, like I mentioned, she did get a lot of Criticism. I found this quote and it said to this, as to all criticism, she responded by invoking the ultimate authority herself. Her films, she liked to say, were made to please an audience of one and her methods were intuitive. And then quote, I am sure of things only because I love them. She said, I am born first. Only then do I discover which I thought was cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'm making movies for myself. And that's all that matters. <laughs> and you know what? I really admire that. And like, that's kind of what mm-hmm. I've had to even take with my own art is, you know, like I'm currently making music. I'm releasing like my very first project here in the next couple weeks. And it's so horrifying. And there's like one song in particular that's like very dramatic and like very funny it, it, it is satirical almost in this kind of way I mean it's not political at all but you know it's satirical and it's making fun of myself yeah. and there's I'm like did I go too far did I do too much but I'm like you know what I like it and if I'm making no, music I that it. I like and I love you know what that's all that matters and I need to like be confident in that so I think that's just like a good message for any artist anywhere is like first and foremost create art that you love and I think if that's your main focus then that is art that you can stand behind even if people are going to criticize it and I mean like who knows if like her films were like actually you know problematic and or, you know maybe her portrayals of women weren't the best <laughs> which like does add a different layer to this conversation but on the surface you know what really matters is are you doing it because you love them and you do you love yeah. what you're doing and are you proud of it and
0: I I I love love that that. like
1: I am born first only then do I discover like I just think that's such a great way of saying that
0: no because then truly like if you look back at it at the end of the day like you'll be proud of it because at least you love it yeah exactly yeah whereas if you're shaky on it then yeah it's probably gonna hurt a lot more when someone else doesn't like it either. yeah
1: and like (laughs) it goes back to like what is art really like it originally was a way for people to express themselves it wasn't done you know, I mean, it is done now, I think, with the purpose of being recognized. But, like, that's not why humans in the first place started creating art. So it's like, you know, go go to your inner roots <laughs> of humanity and think, hmm, how how do we do this? And, yeah, yeah I don't know. It, it was a good reminder to me of, like, reading this. And like I said, I don't know. I don't want to speak on, like, were her films problematic or not. I don't know. I didn't watch them. A lot of the things Mm -hmm. mentioned that she got a lot of criticism, but the truth is, is a lot of the women that we've studied, they also got a lot of criticism that they absolutely didn't deserve. And I'm sure compared to like what men were doing at the time too, you know, it probably wasn't like she was the only one worthy of criticism. So yeah,
0: no, definitely. I think retroactively we could look back and criticize everything for not being feminist enough, Mm -hmm. but they were working with what they had and yeah it still took a lot of work to get to where she was as a female director
1: yeah and like what an incredible legacy to like be one of like five or to be one of so few and to be the very first like that's just incredible oh that's awesome so yes there is lena like i said there's not a ton of information on her but i just think it's cool you know she just lived a life of creating art until she died and creating just as much art as she possibly could so yeah it's awesome I love that I mean how can you complain about that exactly well I think that's it thank you you're welcome now we can add a female director to our roster here and an
0: Italian one at that Mm hmm and another Grandmother Faw voice actor. I know.
1: <laughs> Since the English
0: one was Marnie
1: Nixon. Yes. So. Or the singing voice, at least, was Marnie Nixon. Oh, yeah, true. But still. Another piece I'm like, of the puzzle. so ran random the that we keep <laughs> yeah, finding these connections to Grandmother Faw and Mulan. Like <laughs> How random? Well, I'm gonna watch that documentary which I know I'm doing it out of order considering I did the episode today and then I will be (laughs) watching the documentary on her but I actually did rent it on voodoo I think it's what it is it's only like two dollars to rent so I'm gonna watch that while I work tomorrow because I like doing things also another random thing I found this Netflix thing on Marilyn Monroe that I also am going to I watched oh you did
0: was it the tape yeah was it good yes It was good. Okay. It was kind of hard to follow a little bit because people were talking kind of quietly Mm. in some parts because it's literally tapes. Like, it's a guy who went back and recorded. I learned so much. Okay. They reopened the case about her death a couple of years later Uh. to make sure it was actually, like, an overdose and not, like, murder. Yeah. And then they, like, talked about the night that she died a lot and, like, there were some fishy things going on. Interesting. But at the end of... Anyway, I don't want to ruin it. But like, yeah, it goes into her relationship with like the president and his brother and the Kennedy family and everything.
1: Yes. Very, very interesting. See, I started watching it like while I was working, but I was like, I feel like this is the kind of thing I have to give more of my attention to than have it be playing in the background. So definitely that's on my watch list. And definitely like turn on your subtitles if you're not a
0: subtitle person. I have them on all I love subtitles I'm a subtitle gal but if you don't usually have them on then turn them on but yeah it's it's a great it's good time cool I love all of those like the tapes of
1: Mm -hmm. series that they've done and we do have a Hollywood starlets episode where we talk a little bit about Maryland so you can go listen to Mm -hmm. that and yeah I'll probably watch that this week too a lot of busy work as i'm working so it's perfect <laughs> learning about female artists exactly well thanks for being here this week hope you are enjoying the show and if you are enjoying the show maybe leave us a review write it on spotify or write us something nice on apple Podcasts wherever you listen follow us on instagram which is just more than podcast, where we just post a lot of fun visuals for what we've talked about for the last week so you can go check that out there And feel free to check out
0: as many episodes as we have in the Mm -hmm. past um, and more coming out every
1: Monday. Yes. Bye. Bye. (laughs)